All right, like uh, Tim said, my name's Robert. I'm married, I have three kids. I have an 11-year-old, a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and I was born in Arizona. I'm one of the few who are like born and raised in Arizona. Do I have any Arizona natives in the house? Yes. Praise Jesus. Okay, so most of the time I meet neighbors and all that, and they always ask, where are you from? And I tell them Arizona, and they're like, no way, no way. I don't believe that. Uh, but I am excited to be here again with you guys. We've been going through the book of Mark, and it's funny, when Tim emailed me, he says, hey, here's where we're going to be, Mark 8, 121. I'm like, feeding of the 4,000. Nobody ever preaches on Jesus feeding 4,000. Because Jesus fed 5,000 another time. And so, so Jesus feeding the 4,000, this is like the little cousin of this, this other miracle that takes place. And I started thinking about it. And I'm like, I've never heard anybody preach on Jesus feeding the 4,000. And as I looked at this passage and as I, I really started studying it, uh, I, I just need to let you know, it's going to sound like I'm picking on the disciples a little bit today. But here's the, here's the deal. The reason it's going to sound like I'm picking on the disciples a little bit today is because this passage is kind of picking on the disciples a little bit today. And one of the reasons why I believe this book is the word of God is because some of the stories that are in here. Now, if you don't, if you're new to the Bible, maybe you're new to church and you're like, so, so what's so different about the Bible? Uh, one, the Bible was written over a span of 1,500, 1,600 years by over 40 authors across three continents. And yet it all ties together through the person of Jesus. There's no other book like this. And these disciples that are following Jesus around, they're primarily responsible for what's called the New Testament. It's the first, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's kind of the biographies of Jesus. Then you have the story of Acts, which is the account of the early church. And then you have these letters that these apostles, these original disciples of Jesus were writing to different people in different churches. And so that's how you get the, the New Testament. And so much of the stories in here are kind of like, yeah, the disciples rarely got it the first time. And the disciples made all kinds of mistakes. Now, these are like the founding fathers of Christian faith. These are the first followers of Jesus, and they're the ones writing it. If this was not, if this was just a bunch of guys making stuff up, they wouldn't put the story we're about to read in here. They would have left it out. I mean, Peter, Peter is like, he, he's the one who gave the first message. 3,000 people said yes to following Jesus, and the church is kind of born after he gets up and preaches. And Peter, it, it talks all about, yeah, Peter, he... He said a lot of really dumb stuff. And Peter, yeah, he's the one who, he, he tried defending Jesus. Like, no guy would keep this in their account of like, yeah, I took out a sword and I tried to kill a guy and I missed and I chopped off his ear instead. And like, and everybody's like, Peter, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, nobody pulled out a sword to fight him. He clearly was not a threat. And yet, and yet that ends up in the Bible. It's like, yeah, write that down. People relate to this. God's like, keep that in the Bible. And, and then Peter, at one point, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to be arrested. And he's explaining that this holy week's going to take place. That, yeah, even though people say they love me, I'm, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter says, I'll never let that happen. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, at that. That's kind of a burn, okay, if you're Peter. And you say something, and then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And they're like, yeah, keep that in there. People, people relate to that. And then Peter denies Jesus three times. They're like, yeah, people relate to that. Thomas is always like, hey, I don't, I don't really believe anything. I don't know, Jesus. Is that really true? And, and he keeps doubting and, and he, all this. And they're like, yeah, keep that in there. Write that down. Uh, Tom, I can see Thomas being like, guys, seriously? Like, you have to put that in there? 
Like, we're cool now. Like, we kind of got, they're like, no, 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 write it down, write it down. James and John, they had their mom go talk to Jesus to jockey for position of, of who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. They sent mom and, hey, mom, go talk to Jesus. See if you can, like, get us a promotion here, whatever. And they wrote that down. They kept the whole account of it. This is legit, guys. This is, it has to be from God. It had to be God moving these men to write because there's all this stuff in there that you look at it and it doesn't build up the guys who wrote it because it's real, because it's honest. And this way, you and I, we can actually relate to the stories that are in here. It's not about these guys who were perfect and had it all figured out. It was, it was broken people just like us trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so we're going to look at the account of some broken guys trying to figure what it looks like to follow Jesus. But before I want to do just a quick recap. So a few weeks ago, Tim, he talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And when Jesus feeds 5,000, he uses bread. Now, now if you're like, hey, Robert, is that really the kind of bread that they use there? I bought this at Fry's, okay? <laughs> but this was the closest to what I would imagine the bread would have been like there. It was probably barley loaves, probably looked totally different. But, but just for the sake of illustration, Jesus fed 5,000 people not long before what we're about to read. And not very distant from what we're about to read either. It was the same region, and, and there were 5,000 people. Do you remember how many loaves of bread Jesus had? Five. Somebody said five. You're right. So Jesus had, this is again, this is important for us to, to remember the context. He had five loaves. Anybody remember how many fish that he had? Two fish. Okay. Some of you, yeah, gold star in church today. Uh, and if you're like, hey, Robert, I, I'm new to here. It's okay. You're not going to be quizzed on this. We're not, we're not actually paying attention to who gets the answers right. Jesus had five loaves and two fish. I don't want to bring fish into the church. So just imagine they're there. You're welcome. <laughs> Jesus had five loaves and there were 5,000, and most scholars believe it was 5,000 men, that there was actually far more than, than that. And Jesus takes the five loaves, which by the way, they took from a kid, <laughs> and they just brought it to Jesus like, hey, we got this kid's lunch. And Jesus like, all right, I'll work, I'll work with that. He takes those five loaves, he blesses them, has everybody sit down, and, th and then they pass it out, and he feeds them until they are satisfied, until everybody's filled. And then they have leftovers, so they go and they gather up the leftovers, and this is going to be tough. You've got to really dig deep in, into the history here. How many baskets were left over? Anybody, anybody remember? Twelve baskets. So again, this is important because all the disciples were there, and they experienced five loaves, two fish, fed 5,000 men. Plus women and children, most scholars think maybe around 20,000 people. 12 baskets left over. Here we go. Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days when again, this is a second time. This is, it happened earlier, it happened before, it happened nearby. Again, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I imagine Jesus like a coach. Any, anybody ever coach like little league sports or uh, anybody ever play sports? Just, just quick show of hands. Okay, you've played sports. And, and there's that coach that just so desperately wants the players to get it. And we'll ask questions or kind of set things up, you know, like maybe if it's in football and the coach would be like, okay, so the defense is lined up this way. Do you see what I see here? And the players are like, what? 
I don't totally, you know, and, and we're, we're in baseball, the coach is going, okay, do you see that they've left this big opening out, you know, in, in, in the field here? And, and you have this, do you, do you see that? And they're like, ah, okay, yeah, I kind of see that. So what should you do? Okay, you got a runner on second, you got a runner on third, there's two outs, and, and, and you, the coach is just giving the setup, hoping that the players will pick it up and go, I know what we do, the play's here on first base. Don't worry about second, play's on first, okay. So Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, the coach, I have compassion on the crowd. They have nothing to eat. It's been three days. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. So he's making the scene, right? He's, he's making his case. Sending them away is not an option, Jesus says. And some of them have come from far away. He's presenting them with a problem. Just two chapters ago in our Bible, exact same scenario just different location. And by the way, a few more people. Four. And his disciples. So it wasn't he was just talking to one of them. He gathers, okay, 12 of you. One of you has got to figure this out. <laughs> his disciples answered him. How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Jesus, this doesn't seem possible. They just did this. And they're like, this doesn't make any sense. By the way, if these disciples had read the Old Testament, they would know that God fed the people of Israel bread in a desolate place for 40 years, every day. And, and they're like, well, yeah, but maybe that was a long time ago. Well, this just happened. And they're like, I don't, I don't get this. I don't, I don't really know. That's impossible. Verse 5. And then he asked them, like, Jesus is really trying to help nudge them to the answer here. How many loaves do you have? They said, seven. Okay. I feel like Jesus is trying to do math for them. So earlier, we had five loaves for 5,000. Now we have 4,000. They're really hungry. Jesus says, how many loaves do we have? And they go, one, two, three, four, five, seven. Only seven. <laughs> Jesus, there's only seven loaves here. There's no way we can feed 4,000 people with seven loaves. Remember, they had 12 baskets full of leftovers this time. Like, this isn't as big of a miracle. If we're just like weighing miracles, like which miracle was harder? This one was way harder. They're like, we, we only have seven loaves. What, what could we possibly do here? And by the way, there's less people needing to eat. Verse 6. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. So Jesus is just taken over. Like, eventually, it has to register with these guys. If I have them sit down the exact same way I had them sit down for the five loaves, maybe they'll go, oh, we've done this before. He directed the crowd to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, having given thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. Exact same method. He involves the disciples in it. Jesus is going to do the miracle, but he involves us. This is how ministry works. God does incredible things, but he does it through his church. His church, it's not a building. His church are us. It's his people. The church is a movement of people who help others Meet Jesus. When you say yes to following Jesus, you now are the church. And God often works, not, not just, God could do whatever he wants. God could just speak and heal and do all that, but he chooses to involve us in these miracles. He chooses to use us to place a hand on somebody's shoulder who's hurting and, and to pray for them. 
And God works powerfully through those moments. God uses us. When we go around, by the way, this is kind of a side note, and, and we hand out an invitation, we don't, we don't think this is that big of a deal, like, oh, you know, to the barista or whatever, like, hey, you should, if you're not doing anything Easter, come, come join us. But that's how God works. God's gonna do a miracle in somebody's life, but he's gonna do it through us, through his, through his church. And, and you never know what God might do through just a, a simple invitation. Hey, would you join me for Easter? By the way, this is a side note, people will say yes to coming to Easter and to Christmas. Who would, who would go, I don't want anything to do with church. I got neighbors who like, they want nothing to do with church, but they'll, they'll come to Easter with us. And they'll come to Christmas because that's just kind of like a fun cultural thing that you do. Uh, don't miss this opportunity because God works through us. He works through his church, through you, and through me. So he has them, every, he has them sit down, set before the crowd. And uh, where was I? He broke, gave it to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. Verse 7. And they had a few small fish. Okay. When I read this, I started laughing. So when they said, Jesus goes, okay, what do you have? They're like, we got these seven loaves. Nobody mentioned the fish. Last time it was five loaves and two fish. And then this time, I don't know if it was Peter. I don't know who it was. was like, once he saw like Jesus is breaking the bread and, you know, oh, this is working. He was like, what are these? Like... <laughs> I forgot about these three fish in my pocket. Like, Jesus, do this, do it with the fish. Do the thing with the fish. And, uh, and so all of a sudden, <laughs> it's just a quick note. It's like, oh, yeah, and they had a few small fish. Wasn't mentioned before. <laughs> this thing is oozing with doubt and confusion on the disciples' part. I can relate to this. And again, guys, I'm telling you, the Bible is legit. This is how it happened, I promise you. Because if they were making it up, they wouldn't have put any of that in there. But the disciples, they, they still don't quite get it, and, and they're confused. And you can see the doubt as they're like, we already gave up the seven loaves. Hang on to the fish. <laughs> like, just in case. And I, and I want to, like, at first you read it, and it's like, oh, we're going to pick on the disciples. Guys, this is me. This is what I do. God, I'm going to trust you with, with my salvation, with eternity. I'm going to trust you with all of this. But my marriage, like, I'm, going to, I'm just going to hang on to that one. My finances, yeah, no, that's, that's for, like, super spiritual people. Like, I'm going to trust you with eternity, God, but like that, I'm just going to hang on to that. Or like parenting, like don't tell me how to parent. Or my dating life, like, okay, yeah, so Jesus, you're gonna do some great things in my life after I get married, but while I'm dating, like I'm just gonna, that's gonna, I'm gonna hang on to that. I'm gonna do that my own way. And we'll trust God with some things. We'll trust God to do a miracle over here, but, but in other areas, we're like, no, I'm just gonna keep that, keep that to myself. Eventually, they, they cough up the fish. Here, okay, Jesus, here's some fish. And I don't know if he like said anything or just gave him a look. It just says, and having blessed them, Jesus got, all right, here we go. Having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. So he doesn't make a big deal out of it. He's got some other things to focus on, we'll see. And they ate and were satisfied. All these people, satisfied, filled. And they took up the broken pieces left over. Seven baskets Full. Now, now, real quick, if you're, if you're doing the math and you're like me and you want to visualize this, um, the Bible is written originally in, in three different languages, 
You have Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. This part's written in Greek. And so when we translate it into English so we can all understand it, there's a couple things that we miss in this account. When it says that he collected seven baskets full, uh, if you're like me, you're thinking, oh, well, that's, that's a little less than he had left over with, with the 5,000. It seems like he's losing his touch. Uh, but when it talks about the 5,000 and the 12 baskets full, the Greek word is kofinos. And kofinos means like a, a tray, like a hand, small basket that you would, you would put food on and you would, you would put food before people, kofinos. This time, the word that's used is spuris. Spuris is a hamper. When they, when they lower somebody down, uh, the story of, of the person being lowered down through the roof and Jesus heals them, that, that's in your Bible. It, it, it's through a spuris, which is like a giant hamper made of, of reeds woven together. It's like that thing that maybe you, you've seen on like National Geographic, like ho- hoisted on people's backs, carrying just a ton of stuff. So Jesus says, okay, this time there were 12 hand baskets. This time there were seven spuris, big hampers, baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And then he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. If you're like geog- geographically, where is that? It's just right across the Sea of Galilee. It, it's in an area called Magdala. It's where they believe Mary Magdalene was from, just right across. You could see it from from the other shore. Then verse 11, the Pharisees came. Pharisees were religious leaders at this time and and most likely they they came from the area of Jerusalem. They were religious leaders and, and they kept on adding more and more rules to people. And it was very much about power. It was very much about control. They were using religion to increase their standing and to make it harder and harder for the people and it was a pride issue the Pharisees came and they began to argue with him, seeking from him, talking about Jesus, a sign from heaven to test him. A sign from heaven to test him. Now that word test can also be translated tempt. So the Pharisees show up. Jesus just says, guys, do you see? Like, do you get it? Do you see it this time? Okay, how many? We had seven loaves. There were 4,000 people. We had all of these baskets left over, the big baskets. Okay, are you guys getting it? He comes across and now he's got a bunch of religious people and they wanna get in a philosophical debate with Jesus, trying to test him, trying to, to trap him. I can totally see this moment. Verse 12 says, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. So Jesus just did that. They didn't quite get it. Here he is in front of the Pharisees and they're like, give us a sign, Jesus. And he's like, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got back into the boat, and he went to the other side. So they cross over, interact with the Pharisees. They're like, Jesus, how come you never do any signs? Okay, the disciples didn't get it. And now the Pharisees are like, give us a sign. And what they were saying is, yeah, that, we heard about the bread thing. Yeah, we heard some of these stories about, yeah, you healed this person who was deaf. You healed this person who was blind. Yeah, we, we heard some of those. But give us, like, because we're a big deal, give us, give us like a call down some fire from heaven. Like, give us like an Elijah level sign. Because we're a really big deal. And, and these little signs that you're doing, okay, give us like a real sign. And Jesus just, I, I can't help these people. 
Their pride was so thick. Their heads were so swollen, so full. Jesus is like, I, I, I'm trying to get it through to my disciples right now. I'm, this isn't, you guys aren't going to get it. You guys are clearly chasing something. And he wasn't going to fall for their trap and fall into this temptation, this test. They didn't want to sign what, what they wanted is they wanted to prove Jesus wrong. These guys were not looking for a savior. They were their own savior. It was about what they did. It was about their effort. It was about their works, their knowledge. And Jesus is the savior. They didn't need Jesus. They didn't want Jesus. He goes, no, I'm not playing this game. No sign for you guys. And he gets in the boat and he goes back across. And I can just, I feel this frustration building. Verse 14 now they had forgotten to bring bread and they only had, so it's Jesus and his disciples in a boat and they only had one loaf. So they forget bread, they have one loaf and then Jesus cautions them. So they're just sitting there going like, oh man, Peter, what'd you do with those giant hampers? What? <laughs> Why do we only have one? And Jesus is just dealing with the Pharisees, you know, and they're like, Thomas, yo, yo, Thomas, got any more of those fish in your pocket? You know, like they're, they're trying to figure out what they're going to eat for lunch. They're going across, and, and they're like, dude, that's all, that's all we got. Sit. And Jesus, in, in all of this, what's been going on, everything that's unfolding, <laughs> they only have one loaf with them in the, in the boat. He cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Jesus says, watch out for those guys we just interacted with. Watch out for the leaven. Now, it's not, he's not talking just about yeast. The way that they would leaven bread is they would take just a pinch of the old batch of dough. So, so they, say they're making like sourdough. It's going to rise, all that, using the yeast. They take just a little pinch of that, that dough, and they work it into the new batch. And eventually that, that batch puffs up, it, it, it rises. And Jesus says, watch out for that leaven. Don't be tempted to take just a little bit of what they are bringing and try and work it into this new thing that I am doing. Jesus says, watch out. This brilliant spiritual statement. And the disciples take the term literally. Showing their ongoing inability to grasp spiritual truths. And they began discussing with one another. So Jesus is brilliant. Don't even let just a little bit of that pride in. It'll, it'll wreck the whole thing. They began discussing with one another. Verse 16, the fact that they had no bread. And they're like, see, Jesus just warned to watch out for bread, he said. Like, they, they just don't get it. They're so focused on the physical reality of bread that they missed this great spiritual truth that Jesus was speaking. Again, I can relate to that. I get so focused on the physical. I get so focused on what I can touch, what's right in front of me, that I miss out on the great spiritual truths, the great spiritual reality. Verse 17, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? They've been healing people. And Jesus goes, okay, so there's physical blindness, but he, there's a spiritual blindness. You guys, you guys can't see what's going on here. 
Having ears, do you not hear? They had just healed somebody who was deaf. And Jesus goes, okay, it's one thing to hear sounds. It's another thing to hear the voice of God, what God is doing. You don't, you don't get it. And then he says, and do you not remember? It literally just happened. We just, we zipped on over here. We're on it. Do you not remember? And then he goes just step by step through what took place. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets, kofinos, hand baskets, full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. They got an answer right. Way to go, guys. And then Jesus goes on, and the seven for the 4,000, less people, seven loaves, 4,000, okay. How many baskets, spuris, these large hampers, full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And I imagine there's a pause as they're standing there holding this one piece of bread. And Jesus is just looking at them. <laughs> and he said to them, do you not yet understand? Is it really this unclear? Do you really not get it? And I, I imagine they're like, yeah, Jesus, those are great stories, but we only have one piece of bread. All they could see was the physical reality of that moment. They weren't thinking about who Jesus is. Tim said this brilliantly a few weeks ago. You can see the miracle and totally miss the message. I mean, you could even be involved in the miracle. They were the ones that went around and they, they handed out the bread and they went around and they collected up all the, they were there, they were a part of it and yet they totally missed the message. Jesus was saying, listen, this physical stuff, that's nothing for me. Go, what do you got? Let's, we'll fix that, we'll take it. Yeah, we'll make that work. Jesus is doing these signs to point to he is the savior. He is the rescuer. He is God in the flesh who has come to rescue us. Jesus going, there's this great spiritual reality that I am the bread of life. That I will satisfy the deepest longings, not just a stomach satisfying, but a soul satisfying need. I will meet those needs. I am that bread of life. Do you guys not see it? Do you not Get it? Don't you under, understand? It is vitally important as we experience things in life that we extract the lessons along the way. That as Jesus does something that we would pause and go, okay, what, what was that about? What's the meaning behind that? What's the significance of that moment? And not just when we read the Bible, not just when we go back and we hear these stories and these accounts, but in our own lives. How many times have you done something and you experienced God in a way or you saw God do something in your life? Maybe you were praying for something and, and you thought, I don't even know if this, and, and God showed up and, and God answered a prayer that blew you away. If we don't pause to extract the lesson from that moment, we're going to be like the disciples. And the next time we have a challenge, we're going to go, I guess God's not there. Do you remember when God did this in your life? Did you forget about those moments that things seemed impossible and God pulled you through it? Do you remember those moments that you were crying out to God and your heart was broken and slowly over time, God began to restore what was broken in you? Do you remember that? Because I forget that stuff all the time. 
And life circumstances, I, I'm in a situation, I only got one piece of bread. And I'm so upset and I'm so frustrated. God can't help me. God, are you even there? That's because I forgot. I, I forgot to extract the lessons along the way. If you don't evaluate and look back on what God has done on your life, you're going to keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. You ever heard that hindsight is 2020? Have you ever had moments that you were going through something and you're like, I don't know, it's God even there, it's God even working, and it seems like, God, I keep wanting to do this, but I, I end up over here, and then, and then we wake up and we look back and we go, wow. I didn't realize it at the time, but God was with me. God was rescuing me. God was working in the midst of pain, in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of other people's sin and things that had happened that God had never left me. No, God was right with me and he guided me through it. And you see it when you look back. We have to look back. We have to evaluate our experiences or they're wasted experiences. And be reminded again and again of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness in our lives because there will be moments again and it's the exact same scenario. And we need to be reminded, no, I've been here before. I've seen God work before. I know that God is good. I know that God loves me. And I can trust him. And I can help others who are going, I don't know what we're going to do. Hey, listen, I know my God. And he loves you. And he loves me. We can trust him. Because we learned from the past. When Jesus is about to go to the cross, he's washing his disciples' feet. And Jesus gets this. I mean, he'd been working with these guys for years. And in John 13, 7, we don't have this verse up here. I'm just going to read it to you. Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing. As he's washing the disciples' feet, and they're like, why is Jesus washing our feet? He says, but later you will understand. Jesus flat out says, hey, sometimes you're not going to get it in the moment, but later on, you're going to look back and you're going to see what God was doing. It's going to make sense in hindsight. But listen, do not fail to extract these lessons. Do not fail to learn from what God has done in your life, what God is doing, even, even the painful times. And so just question I have for you, what are some of those key moments of God's faithfulness in your life? Not to answer out loud, but just as you're, as you're thinking, as you begin to look back, what are some of the key moments of God's faithfulness in your life? What are some of those milestones, some of those turning points in your faith journey? Even if you've not put your trust in Jesus yet, and you're like, I'm just checking this thing out, and I'm coming to church to learn and kind of figure out what the Bible says, there was something that made you hungry, that, that drew you into this place. What are those things? What are those things that you've learned and experienced even the painful ones. Paul writes this, and this is to those who have put their trust in Jesus. He says, praise be, this is in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, if you want to look this up later. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, the God of all comfort. If ever you've been in a situation where you felt trouble, God was there. Comfort. If you've ever experienced comfort ever in your life, it came from God. Amen. And you're like, no, 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 it came from my neighbor. Okay, God worked through your neighbor. All comfort comes from God. 
All good gifts come from God. Everything good, every bit of grace you've experienced in your life, that is a gift from God. He delivers that through people. He delivers that through circumstances, but all good things. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Listen, so that. It doesn't end with just God working in our lives, comforting us. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God, he says. Says God's gonna comfort you, God's gonna love you, He's gonna care for you. You're gonna receive all that from God. Listen, so that you can share that with others who are going through the same thing. To walk alongside others in their pain and in their hurt. Don't forget to extract the lessons because God's gonna use that in the lives of others. The last thing I wanna leave us with is this idea. Don't miss the deeper spiritual realities. Don't get so focused on the physical that we miss the deeper thing that God is doing in our lives. See, sometimes if I'm feeling sick or I feel, you know, I'm praying for somebody and they're dealing with illness, I'm going, God, where are you? And all I'm seeing is the physical. All I'm seeing is the cancer or the disease or the mental health breakdowns. And I'm going, God, why aren't you doing anything about this? All I can see is the physical. Don't miss out on the deeper spiritual reality going on all around us. See, the reality is physically, things are going to break down. Our bodies will fail us. We sang two songs about it this morning. There will come a time where our bodies breathe no more. But that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus is doing something more than just multiplying bread. Jesus is bringing soul satisfaction. He is the bread of life. When we say yes to putting our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves in, sealing us as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance that we are with God for all eternity, no matter what happens physically to us. That's the deeper spiritual reality. That Jesus is going, these are just signs. These are just bread. Yeah, we ate, big deal. You're gonna be hungry tomorrow. There is something much greater going on all around us. And again, when I said, hey, this invitation's a big deal, it's because you don't know what God's gonna do in the soul of an individual who hears the good news. That when we were separated from God because of our sin, that God, in the form of man, in the person of Jesus, he came to us, he lived a perfect life. He sacrificed his life on behalf of ours. He paid the debt that you and I couldn't pay. The debt that we owe for our sin, that separation that should have stayed there. No, he said, no, I love you so much. I will pay that debt for you. Put your trust in me. Listen, I am the bread of life and I will satisfy your very soul. And for all eternity, you will be with me. You will be my child. And nothing, nothing can separate you from my love, my promise, my future that I have for you. Don't miss the deeper spiritual reality. Next week when we have baptisms, what we're doing is we're doing a physical representation of what's going on spiritually in our lives. When we get in that baptism water, it is a picture. That is the old me, the old me, separated from God because of my sin, the old me that maybe tried to work my way to God but couldn't, the old me that was longing to be filled, said yes to following Jesus. So that old me is gone. And as we come up out of the water, this is the new me, and the new me lives in faith. Faith in the work of Jesus, faith in his resurrection. 
which foreshadows our resurrection, that when our bodies die, that we will be raised again, new life with Christ for all eternity. It's a picture, a physical representation of the spiritual reality of what God is doing and has done in our lives. Thank you guys for letting me be here. I wanna pray for each one of us and pray that we wouldn't miss what God is doing. God, for every person here, would you help us to look back and see not just the work that you've done, but the message behind it, the meaning behind what you've done in our lives? Would you help us to learn the lessons, to see, God, your goodness, your faithfulness? God, the moments that we thought it was hopeless and you walked alongside us through others, through your word, by your spirit in our times of prayer that you comforted us. God, you are the God of all comfort. You are the God of grace. You are the God who forgives sinners like us, invites us into relationship with you. You're all powerful. You have power over bread, over water, over life. The breath in our lungs is a gift from you. Every good gift is from you. God, help us to learn the lessons to be reminded, to not forget. And the next time we're dealing with something, walking through that valley, God, would you remind us again of your goodness, your faithfulness, and your promises. I pray for those who get invited to Easter that they would come, that they would say yes. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would prepare their hearts to respond to the good news of your gospel and that we'd celebrate through baptism new life in Jesus. We pray in your name, amen.